0: This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
1: Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon
0: Musk? Then we have just the show for you.
1: Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber.
2: And I'm Eric Balchunas.
1: Eric, there's a lot going on in the world, and we're going to talk about REITs. Why are we going to talk about REITs?
2: Yeah, because, you know, you can just get lost in the news cycle and all the discussions on Twitter. And just sometimes you just end up in the ivory tower debating these things that are fun to talk about, but I mean, maybe aren't practical. And so sometimes you have to just cut away, go into an area, a category and just roll up your sleeves and dig around and talk about the practicality of a certain area for investors. And so um, I thought REITs were an interesting one because A, they're at a crossroads, they're changing dramatically. Um, And for those who don't know, REITs stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. And it's sort of a way to buy an ETF and then, you know, indirectly or directly rather, I guess, own um, properties. And they could be anything from like uh, retail properties, malls, storage, industrial infrastructure, hotels, uh, stuff you wouldn't buy as a regular person uh, typically. And also they yield a lot because they have a certain structure where they have to pass on a lot of their income. And so we have rates rising, which is a threat to them. But then at the same time, rates are still low. And so I thought there's a lot of crossroads going on in the REIT category, and we could maybe unpack it and talk about uh, the, you know the pros and cons of uh, all of the different products. So you
1: basically get to own real estate without really owning real estate.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess you basically just click a button, and it's uh, you're pulled in with a bunch of investors who are common owners of you know real estate properties. And one thing I hope to get out today is to get some visual on what exactly you are owning. I mean, I can see the words, hey, now I own residential and hotel uh, REITs, but where are these hotels? What do they do? Um, you know, I think that sometimes is lost, but yeah, you do end up owning these things.
1: And to help us uh, wade through the category, we're gonna be joined by Kevin Kelly at Benchmark Invest and David Auerbach at World Equity Group. This time on Trillions, the REIT stuff. David, Kevin, welcome to Trillions. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. David, I want to start with you. Um, why Why should we be talking about REITs right now? What are these good for?
4: Well, I can tell you right now that this is not going to be a sexy conversation like Tesla and Bitcoin and Buzz ETF. But when you talk about REITs, they provide one thing that is common in in times of uh, volatility and that's safety, dividend income, stability, high payout ratios by these companies. You're you're getting almost like an annuity or like a a long-term bond when you're buying some of these companies. And as Kevin can attest to, looking at the long-term holdings of some of these companies, you're just going along for the ride and letting these companies do what they do best.
2: Let's just take one second, David, to just bring in somebody who knows almost nothing. Explain what a REIT is and why the income is high, like that structure that I alluded to earlier. Just explain that whole concept.
4: Sure. So as you said, a REIT is a real estate investment trust. A real estate investment trust is a a shell that you would own a property, a portfolio of real estate. And as you mentioned, that's office buildings, apartment properties, hotels, self-storage, the list goes on and on. With the way that a REIT is structured, 95% of the net income is paid out to shareholders in the term of dividends or in the form of dividends. And so as a result, right off the bat, in fact, many of these guys are paying out monthly dividends. And so right off the bat, you're getting a huge income component because the typical average dividend yield right now, according to NAE REITs, around four to four and a half percent. And with the 10-year, which is its closest benchmark, trading at around 1.6, let's say right now, you, know, you still have about 300 basis points in your pocket that you're being paid by these companies to own this high-quality real estate. Take it a step further. Another really interesting way to play that is through the preferred stack. And if you played the REIT preferreds, then you're looking at yields anywhere from where public storage has the lowest of, let's say, a sub three or excuse me, a sub four. You know, quality names are yielding around five percent and higher yield stuff's going six to seven and higher. So, you know, it's it, there's just a huge buffer there for REITs in your favor.
1: And David, can you tell us
4: what you do at at World Equity Group? Sure. So uh, I'm lucky I, I've <laughs> I straddle a lot of worlds. Uh, I'm an institutional Uh, sales trader at World Equity Group. Uh, I've been uh, in the REIT industry for over 20 years. I got my start at a firm called Green Street Advisors, now known as Green Street. So for me now at World Equity Group, I am Trading REITs. I am doing corporate access with a partner, working on management relationships. We are doing new share issuance, working with some of these REITs. Really, it kind of spreads, it spans the globe. I also work on a REIT newsletter, a daily newsletter. Um, there's just so much information that's out there, and with you know 160 plus publicly traded equity REITs, not counting the mortgage side, there's a lot of information to digest on a daily basis. And we'll get through more of that as we go through this.
2: And Kevin, I want to bring you into this. Um, you know, I've bumped into you a lot over the past, like, I don't know, eight, nine years, really, especially at the Bloomberg TV studio. You're always in there doing the options uh, segment and whatnot. Before we get into some of the ETFs, just what are you up to these days?
3: So today, what I'm really up to is trying to give investors access to specific property types and specific exposure, especially in the real estate market. And so if you look at uh, my what I do on a core level, it's actually look at the real estate universe and then delineate which actual uh, companies are are doing on their property type, tenant type, and, uh, you know, revenue type. And and so what we do is we make indexes off of that, and then we license those indexes to ETF issuers. And so what you'll see is that the top two property type ETFs that are out there, we're the index provider to those.
2: You have some new um, cutting edge kind of indexes that are tracked by ETFs. So but let's do this in, in order to, get again, keep this uh, high level, uh, at least for now. If you look at the REIT ETF category, which has $72 billion, by the way, it is, it's uh, one of the bigger sectors, VNQ has half the assets. That's the Vanguard REIT ETF. It's one of those rare Vanguard ETFs that's the biggest in the category and the most traded. Um, it's a monster. So, Kevin, why don't you take VNQ, explain that one, and the general, you know, I guess, broad ETF that VNQ uh, kind of represents versus some of the newer stuff.
3: Yeah. So the way you should look at the read ETF market is VNQ is the big behemoth. And what that does is it gives access to investors to own broad based real estate. It owns everything all at once. You're going to own, Every publicly traded shopping mall, you're going to own every publicly traded uh, hotel, you're going to own every publicly traded apartment company, you're going to own every publicly traded office building, and the problem with that is, in my opinion, is that property types trade differently. So an office is going to perform differently than a retail shopping center, than a hotel, than a data center. And so what you're getting is you're getting the broad base. It's like owning the all-world index when it comes to ETFs, right? So you're owning every single country and every single company. And so that's what V&Q does. And really what it's meant to do is to give broad-based exposure to asset allocators.
4: It's also a passive index. And so If you look at the bigger picture as far as like COVID as an example, in the work from home trade versus the return to office trade, let's say, VNQ may, even though it's still invested in office and hotels and malls, in an active situation, an active REIT ETF guy would have been uh, out of those sectors in the second quarter of last year and overweight single family rental REITs, tower REITs, data center REITs, the Zoom trade, basically, for reit land, and so now what we're seeing is the reverse, where there's two camps: the, the Zoom trade still being on, and the return to office trade. Right, some of the more aggressive PMs that are putting back on the hotels, the offices, and the retail trade. Just as a just as a, a point of clarification.
1: Well, and, and to that end, David, what kind of innovation are we actually really seeing in the category? If if we've got the VNQ and that's like the big umbrella of everything, like talk to us about what's been changing and, and what kind of ETFs are are now at investors' fingertips.
4: Sure, absolutely. And, and frankly, to Kevin's credit, he was one of the first guys that was out there really finding the the niche sector's well ahead of the curve of some of the other guys. And I'll let Kevin go more into detail about his too, but a couple other unique plays. Um, You can play the net lease lease REITs. That would be the guys like your quick service restaurants, the Burger Kings, McDonald's, Starbucks, gyms, drug stores, uh, gas stations, And uh, that is run by some uh, guys uh, from a company called Fundamental Income. The ticker of that ETF is NETL, Nancy Edward Tom Larry. Uh, The two executives that started that came from a company called Store Capital, which uh, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway is its largest shareholder. So right off the bat, before we even get into net lease REITs, when Warren Buffett is the largest shareholder of one of these net lease REITs, there's kind of that Berkshire touch to it. Another interesting avenue is a a home builders housing ETF, the Hoya Housing 100, uh, the Homes HOMZ ETF. This is comprised of residential, self-storage, lodging, uh, anything, like Home Depot lows, anything that has to do with the home owner space. One more I want to touch upon is the newest player, and Eric, I think I'd love to get your comments on that as we go through this, but the first, really the one of the first active REIT ETFs has come to market. Um, there's a couple that are out there, but from the GS, excuse me, from Alps uh, with GSI Capital as the sub the actual ticker REIT, REIT, like I said, which is the Act the Alps Active Read ETF. So there are several different unique wrappers to play the ETF space besides just IYR, VNQ, the big daddies of the sector.
2: One of the reasons we did want to also talk about this was that um, my colleague, uh, Morgan Barna, back last year, um, at the end of the year, she wrote about SRVR and it was interesting. I actually learned a lot from her note. And she just really found that these towers and data centers, which again are not tended not to be in the traditional REIT ETFs were a real source of return at the time um, and you know SRVR has like 34 percent and 44 percent in in those respectively, whereas VNQ is more like eight and 20 percent and and again this parallel you see it everywhere every category has a couple ETFs that are just tip of the spear. they're going to these places that you're not getting otherwise. Otherwise, why would they launch an ETF if you can get it in VnQ? So, talk about the tower data center angle here and and what, what that's what, what's going on. Yeah, so I think it's really important to note that um,
3: as you know the overall REIT market has evolved, you've seen new property types, and two of those new property types are data centers and cell phone towers, and so they're non traditional, and they're actually growing pretty significantly because as you see, we're digitizing our daily lives. And so when the pandemic happened, you actually saw two big beneficiaries in the real estate market where you actually had visibility of cash flows. And that was the data centers and cell phone towers. Why? Because everyone was working from home. Everyone was doing school from home. And so these two property types were really uh, the the frontline defense for everybody in their daily lives, right? It's like everyone was using the internet and, uh, more and more and more uh, for personal and professional use. And so when you look at what SRV the SRVR index does is it gives you pure play access to those property types. And so uh, what we're seeing is a lot of Technology investors are using SRVR to complement it with their cybersecurity exposure, with their cloud exposure, with their semiconductors, because it does have the growth of technology, but with the safety and security of real estate. And so that's why you're seeing a a lot of adoption with the SRVR index constituents and advisors and investors portfolios.
2: So this brings up an interesting point, which is because I'm looking at SRVR and um, uh, that's a great pitch for it. And I think, you know, the returns um, show that. But the yield is really small relative to other REIT ETFs. I have 1.6% for a 12-month yield, whereas VNQ is about double that. Um, can you talk a little bit about that tradeoff? And, you know, a lot of REIT ETFs are used for income you're make you're like an you're basically trying to uh make a whole different case is that right? Yeah, so
3: the reason why you'll see a lower uh yield on that is because the the and it's called SRVR cuz it it stands for server cuz computer servers are rendered useless without the mission critical assets that server index provides. So the whole idea here is when you Look at this. What are you trying to gain from this exposure? And that's growth. You're not trying to get income. And so that's what really differentiates it from a VNQ, because if you look at uh, what the actual management teams are doing on the data center and cell phone tower side, they're developing. Right. So they're building as much as they can right now. And so they're using a lot of their cash and assets to develop and build. So you're going to get a lower yield but you're going to get higher growth. And that's the nice aspect. If you want income, go get income elsewhere. If you want growth, you're you're you you you've got it. You've got a perfect uh, portfolio here where you can get that aspect.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. People who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ.
1: So, David, as a watcher of this space, and you know, someone who gives Kevin a lot of credit for what he's done, and and especially with SRVR, what perspective do you have on on what what he's been sort of accomplishing there, and and the stuff to watch in that space?
4: Kevin mentioned about the tower reach and data center reach as a growth play, and a couple of my favorite statistics goes back to a conference from a couple of years ago. The former CEO of American Tower, his name was Jim Tassel. He left to go to be the CEO of Lockheed Martin. He made a great data point, and it's really resonated with me. Knowing that this data point's about two years old, just in the back of your mind, know that it's gone up. And the point was, did you know, wait for the dramatic pause, that there's 24 hours of video posted to YouTube every minute? That's as of a couple of years ago. So think about how that number has only increased. As Kevin has stated, we're digesting this content on our phones, our tablets, Um, every single way that we can, more and more. We're doing this conversation by way of a Zoom. There's that demand for bandwidth. If you go read the tower and data center transcripts, one more thing to add is, their growth is not here domestically. Their growth is overseas. These guys are making a huge push into India's and Africa's and Europe's that some of these countries aren't even on 3G technology yet in the same breath these companies are working on the next 6g evolution what does that mean as far as does that mean it's going to be real time when i'm watching a movie it's almost like i'm watching a live event i don't know but our content is only going up and up that we're using this and so again the data and towers is not an income play necessarily it is a growing sector and you know you ask anybody in the industry I don't know the answer to this, but if you say what what uh, ending of development are we in in the towers and datas, my gut tells me that a lot of the guys are going to tell you we're still in the early ending stages of the tower and data center please, not the not the later innings.
2: Yeah, and I, I think that case is made pretty effectively, um, and uh, that that would be. It's almost like Kevin, you're you're almost making a pitch for a theme ETF for a, a new industry. Whereas I want to bring it back real quick to just general REIT ETFs that are a little more traditional, like VNQ and the Schwab and iShares um, REIT ETFs. David, how sensitive are they to rates? Uh, The 10-year is rising. Um, What about timing-wise? Would you wait for the rates to rise a little more um, as an entry point? Uh, How do you work in rates to your decision on investing in REITs, traditional ones?
4: traditionally I, I i honestly don't know if it's that much of an event again some of these reads the big the big cap guys the s&p 500 names they've been around for so long and have dealt with so much volatility and interest rates i don't think it impacts them so much eric to be quite honest in a 1.6 10 year environment you know if it went to 3% yeah we got some problems and we're, we're going to be freaking out but if you remember back last year when everybody was talking about the 10-2 yield curve inversion, and everybody was all freaking out about that. Obviously, again, with COVID and all the other uh, hiccups that are in the market, but you know really what happens is REITs bounce back pretty quickly. That trade, the COVID trade for the REIT sector, disappeared in about a month. Looking at the preferreds and everything, that, that window shrunk in about a month. So Really, I think in the grand scheme of things, right now I think the REITs are shaking off the interest rate concerns in the grand scheme of things.
3: I have a couple of thoughts on that, and I think there's there's stats that people should really be aware of. And the first one comes from REIT, and they've actually looked at a rising interest rate environment and how did broad-based REITs perform. And according to the research, 54% of the time when rates are rising, REITs outperformed the S&P 500. And so I think that's pretty significant. And the question you need to ask is why? And it's because rents, Uh, rose faster than rates. And so you want to focus on rising rents, not rising rates. And that's the most important thing. So if the economy is getting better, you're going to see rents go up faster than rates do. And that is a huge tailwind for, for REITs in general.
1: Okay, so let's keep talking about that because here we are. Uh, vaccination is happening, at least in the U.S., at a pretty rapid clip. We could we could actually be uh, in a version of of normal again bef- before long. And so, what does the REIT industry look like post COVID, especially like in regards to things like malls? Now that we've we've all transitioned to this this world where everything can kind of go remote, like what what role could the REIT industry kind of look like post COVID?
3: I think the REIT industry is going to do exceptionally well post-COVID for several reasons. One is their actual structure. So we touched base on it before, but what they're going to do is come out of this uh, pandemic leaner and meaner, right? So they're going to have stronger balance sheets. Uh, They've done, they've basically right-sized their entire portfolios. There's been a lot of asset dispositions. They can work with state and local municipalities to do some redevelopment. And so what I think is going to happen is post-pandemic, what you will see is you will see a lot of REITs be opportunistic because they ha- most of them are investment grade, they've got great balance sheets, so they're going to be able to buy a lot of the distressed assets. Why? Because of their financial flexibility, they can issue REIT preferred shares, they can actually share- issue shares into the secondary market and raise money. And so what's nice about it is they are known entities, the management teams, are, are very well known. They've been around for a long time. So they have a huge advantage to take uh, to, to, to be
1: opportunistic going forward. And same question uh, to you, David. Like, what, what do you think post COVID REITs are going to look like?
4: Yeah, I echo a lot of what Kevin said. You know, going back to the housing crisis or the financial crisis of 08 09, 12, 13, for some of these guys, REITs traditionally learn from historical events. So From the 08-09 financial crisis, a lot of the REITs decided to go less leverage equals the better position. They diversified their tenant base. They just became stronger and stronger to combat the financial pitfalls that were thrown at them. So to answer your question, post-COVID, I think a lot of folks are going to continue to be leaner and meaner. If you were having troubles before COVID, you're probably not going to survive after COVID. A lot of these guys, if you go back and read their transcripts, they had said, we've spent this period developing, improving, managing our relationships, growing our tenant base. They're trying to get you know, stronger relationships with their existing tenants. You know, Traditionally, if you think about, let's use a net lease read as an example, if they do a deal with the Dollar General, it's not just one property that they're talking about. You're talking 20, 30, 50, 100 net lease properties that they're dealing with. So I think this is just gonna improve relationships across the specter. Um, but then you're also going to see newer plays come out, like we as we're seeing with the growth of cannabis, as an example. There are several cannabis replays that are out there. Um, are we going to see a whole slew of new REIT ETFs come to market? I don't know. I leave that to my my friendly Bloomberg REIT ETF analyst, my Bloomberg ETF analyst, answer that question. But I, I I think that the REITs, you know, there's that expression in trading: volatility equals opportunity, and I think that really holds true for the Reed guys right now. That they're you know. Look at Simon Property Group as a prime example. Simon Property Group has been extremely active during COVID. They acquired Authentic Brands, Lucky Jeans, Brook Brothers. Oh, and they bought another mall read in Taubman Centers. And so where people said, oh, the mall is dead, the mall is dead. David Simon and the team are like, no, it's not. Look what we're doing here. Let me come
2: in here with this idea. Uh, bring it back to the beginning. We talked about Everybody likes investing in real estate, I think. Uh, you know, they got their house. They like to see it go up, minus like the late 2000s, which I bought a condo in 2006. I remember the mortgage agent was like, oh, yeah, this will double. Like, it was that normal that your property would double in every year. Um, and it's I sold it for the same price like 15 years later. Because I, mean, I bought it right—anyway. So, you called that a
4: win, didn't you? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, um, my wife just wanted to get rid of it. I was like, it's, it, it might still go up, and we just we cut the dead weight. But anyway, my story aside, I do like real estate. I like owning something physical. This, just try to explain to me, you know, and institutions are known for implying the Yale model, which is about buying less liquid assets, which could be actual real estate, where they go in on a land deal or farmland or something. These are equities. How much of that thing where you own physical property is watered down as you go through the equity, the public equity system. And now I own it through a REIT. Just can you explain that difference between owning it well, in a public equity versus like the real deal?
4: Sure. I'm going to push back at you a little bit because uh, to use the single family rentals as an example, you'd know several of the big sell side firms, the JP Morgan's of the world, the Goldman Sachs of the world, Bank of America all last year announcing single family rental um, partnerships that they're launching their own single family rental platforms to compete against the invitation homes, the American homes for rent, the publicly traded REITs that are out there. So there are guys that are sinking direct money into real estate away from the REIT structure. But when I buy a share of Boston properties, you're buying a share of high-quality real estate across New York, San Francisco, across the country. Do I necessarily can I walk into uh, the GM building and say I'm a shareholder? Let me up to this top floor. No, but in the same breath, you know your own. There's only one New York City. There's only one you know GM building. They're not going to tear it down anytime soon. The last time I recall, that building is worth a couple billion with a B dollars. And so therefore I can say I have a tangible stake granted it's one share of the GM building. Um so I think that there you know I, there's that name association. A great another example is the Empire State Building, Empire State Realty Trust. If I own Empire State Realty Trust, I own the Empire State Building. That's a historical landmark. There's only one Empire State Building. You're not going to tear it down and rebuild it. And they always say they're not growing more land. One other interesting play, Eric, one other name to mention to you is a company called Safehold. And the ticker of that is S-A-F-E. The only reason why I mention that is they are a ground lease REIT that their selling point is a little bit about what you're talking about that you are owning a 99-year ground lease of, let's say the GM building as an example. They're just gonna go in and buy the underlying land of the property and let the building owner focus on owning the building. So there's a couple of unique ways to actually play the actual property structure. Itself. Well,
3: Eric, if I could, I want to answer your question. You were talking, I think at the core of your question was how much dilution is there from actually owning a property versus owning a REIT? And so where's the dilution in that? And the answer is REITs, are exactly what they sound like. It's a real estate investment trust. So it's an accumulation of properties. It's just like an ETF. So ETFs is an accumulation of securities, and then it trades sort of at its net asset value. The same thing holds true for real estate investment trust. It's just an accumulation of properties. And then what those properties are valued at on the exchange and so you know obviously they do have some debt that's associated with it on their balance sheets but you're an actual shareholder in every single one of those properties that they own so you're owning equity in those actual buildings that they own so it is a portfolio of real estate that you own and so there really isn't much dilution uh you just have hired these management teams to run own and operate these buildings or properties that 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 are in the REIT.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ.
1: one one thing that i find really interesting here is like because of what you've been able to do and and others in this space it's like you can be you know we talk about thematic etfs a lot like basically it sounds like there's like hyper fo- focused uh, strategies that you can basically get into as an investor. So, so because the space has not only that, but then, you know, the VNQs that have a little bit of everything in it, like, as like a as an investor who does, might not know this space, like, what are the questions that you need to be asking when you when you get into this stuff?
3: Yeah, so I think the most important thing to know is what is what are the drivers of these ETFs, right? And so we talked about SRVR. That's a play on you know every device being connected to the internet. When I look at the other uh, the other one, which is INDs, it's industrial real estate. Well, well, what is the driver of that? It's e-commerce, right? The Amazon CFO said himself he needs fifty percent more real estate than he has today just to meet current demand. So it owns all the distribution centers that get you your package in a day or less. So say David was to buy something from Lowe's and it gets delivered to him in two hours, right? It's coming from the distribution center. So, so, so e-commerce is driving that. If you look at another one, homes, we mentioned earlier, it's the consumer that's driving it because it's based off of, you know, uh, um, the, the consumer owning homes. So it's home builders, it owns some, some uh, residential REITs and And so you have to look at the drivers behind it, right? So broad-based real estate will be sort of a play on the economy. That's why when you saw in the first quarter – of, you know, 2020 broad-based real estate I think was down some 21%, right? So it sold off in sentiment with the market because it was a reflection of the economy. So that's what you really need to look at, what are the drivers of this going forward? So, you know, I anticipate there's going to be a hotel ETF coming out within the next month. What's going to be the drivers of that? It's going to be the reopening that's that's really what's going to drive it right it's not going to it's you know initially it's going to be that but then it's also going to be focused on uh businesses going back to conventions and and consumers actually going out and do, do uh, doing leisure uh vacations so it's it's the fundamental underpinnings of that that you need to look at the drivers and that's how you play these quote unquote themes within real estate
2: um real quick you know you just sort of hinted at a at a new filing and i think in general, you have a lot of liberty in being able to talk about the ETFs that your indexes track. Um, you're kind of like Dave Portnoy of the REITs. And you bring up a good point because Portnoy is the from the index company of the new Buzz ETF. And there was a lot of people questioning how he could be so dramatically bold with marketing the ETF because all the other ETF issuers were like, I could never say that. Compliance would hammer me. And he found this kind of, it's not a loophole, but it's just the way it is. The index maker can say a lot more. And, and that's what you are. Can you just talk about that difference between the index maker and the ETF person? Yeah,
3: I think it's a great point to bring up because the important thing to note is you cannot directly invest in an index. And so that's that's the caveat that every index maker comes out there with and saying, hey, this is a this is a portfolio. You actually can invest in this. You would need to invest in a product that seeks to track the performance of this index. And so that's what he's really, uh, you know, hinging his hat on is, is saying, hey, listen, I'm talking about this portfolio. You can't invest in it there is a product that does track it but you know it's up to those guys and so the important thing to note is that there are hundreds of thousands of millions of billions of indexes out there Bloomberg's got tons of them they don't have products that track them you can go out there Eric and talk your heart's content and hype them up but no one can invest in them because a the product doesn't track it so I kind of laid the groundwork for Dave Portnoy which is great because now he's <laughs> testing the thesis of, of, of sort of what we can and cannot say, and so I'll let him be the, 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 the trailblazer on that front. But, you know, my, my position is... I'm trying to provide investment intelligence to people out there. I'm trying to get let them know about, you know, different ways to think about investing and 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 how they can do it. A lot of times I talk about the constituents within the portfolios. So hey, I say hey, here's here's the difference between American Tower and Crown Castle and Server. Here's the difference between Prologis and Duke Realty. And so I can go out there and talk about individual constituents and how they how they how how they actually uh, differentiate from each other and and why they serve a purpose within the overall index itself so you know i think eventually the sec will come around and and come up with rules uh due to the fact that i think people are going it's all it, it always
2: just takes a couple people to ruin it for everybody else uh in certain things so <laughs> well you know uh, t- to be honest i think the etf issuers aren't allowed to like they should be allowed to say more i think somewhere yeah. there's a happy medium there I hope it doesn't get overly ruined. I I, I do think, though, you're going to see more job postings from index issuers or index companies for uh, communications people. <laughs> well, well, the, you know, uh the important thing is that index providers are it's kind you kind of have this reverse
3: roles in that ETF issuers tend to be the ones at the forefront forward thinking and they've got they 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 are the ones that that would be able to push and say great things and and do a lot of quote-unquote hype as Portnoy does. But the index providers are kind of slow and steady. They're kind of archaic people, right? They're yeah. coming up with no, they're like the lab. Yeah, they're coming up with <clears throat> classifications. It's like the science
2: lab. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. I could see them hiring. I could even see the ETF issuer saying, hey, let's take this person here, like our Kevin Kelly, and we'll just send him over to Solactive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they'll just and they'll just be able to say everything we can. There you go. Yeah, I've had
3: I've had other issuers come to me and say, Hey, can we hire you? And you know, uh, we'll do this index <laughs> together. And but you can go around with our wholesalers and talk about it and do the whole thing. And so you talk about the index, our wholesaler talks about this, and 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 it'll be great. So you're actually kind of seeing seeing requests from issuers to have an index salesperson with. Them. So I think that's yeah, that's where you're going, and you're absolutely right. But but the but the big, you have to think about it. I am the drop in an ocean. Where are all the indexes at? They're at, you know, S&P, MSCI and, you know, NASDAQ and all the big ones. So they don't really specialize in that. So they may, they may move towards that. Or what I think you will see happen is the big ETF companies will actually move away from those guys and come up with their, their own index provider or use different providers like myself.
1: Hey, David, as we start to wrap here, I want to bring it back to you and investors, um, uh, since you know, you're talking to institutional investors a lot. How are we supposed to think about how REITs fit into the portfolio of the future? You know, There's a ton of talk about 60-40 and sort of the 40 not being what it used to be. Like, Talk to us about how institutional investors and maybe what retail investors can learn from them in terms of how we should think about how REITs fit into portfolios going forward.
4: Certainly, and and so obviously, you know, there's the re-dedicated community, the dedicated institutional REIT investors, the Cohen and Steerses of the world, Brookfield, you know, they have obviously huge, huge stakes their per- portfolios tied up in real estate. From an average retail investor, let's say, though, typical advisors recommend anywhere from 5% to 15% of your portfolio should be in, involved in REITs and real estate. And that's for that dividend income and safety. It's the, you know, call it the counter hedge to the tech and volatility. Traditionally, REITs are a safe haven during times of volatility. So really, it's anywhere from, I would say, 5 to 15% from an institutional perspective, again, because of a hedge from a lot of the other crazy volatility names. You know, it's definitely it definitely needs to have a presence. That's there, but think about it. Obviously, you know, REITs faced a real tough time during COVID. A lot of the guys did cut their dividends, they have come back. A lot of the guys are trying to get back to higher dividend structures. Remember, they have to pay out their net income in the form of dividends. So, think about it most of these management teams, if not all of these management teams, have executives that own huge stakes directly in their companies. Because they're getting paid so much dividend income on the backside of it that they, you know, have what they call skin in the game, and so they want to make sure that as the company continues to perform, they continue to perform and, and uh, play along with those uh, returns as well. So I feel like it's just going to continue to grow and grow. Um, but you know, it's it's again a momentum player. is it's not necessarily geared towards a momentum guy. It's very really long term holding type of growth play.
1: Okay, it's come to that point in the program. Where I have to ask you both for your favorite ticker, and it can't be one that you have yourself, Kevin. It
2: can't be SRVR. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, Kevin,
2: favorite. I know, I know you're in you're in index marketing mode, but let's just take that hat off. Yeah, and, and just so be an ETF industry favorite ETF ticker watcher guy. Favorite ETF ticker that is not your own.
3: Oh, you you know what? So I, I, and and this is outside of of REITs, obviously. So uh, my favorite, I I actually hate to say it, it's got to be Hack. I love that ticker. I just love. It's just it's so raw. Like if you think about it, like Hack, like it's got like a negative connotation, but it crushed it when it launched so you've got a you've got a you've got a a a word that you know exactly what that
2: means right and you tell anybody it's also it's a verb and a noun yep and the etf is trying to stop what the word is the whole thing is it just it's very multi-dimensional i agree amazing ticker it's my favorite one of all what's
4: yours let me preface that for those that don't know, one of my favorite pastimes, and I can't wait to get back out there, is going to see the rock band Fish. And so, to Med Faber, I'm going to go. Toke is probably my favorite <laughs> ETF ticker that's out there.
2: That's also a good one. Also a verb. I'm telling you, verbs are the way to go. Verb and on and a noun on that one. So we we, we got a yep. two for a both.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be selfish. I do want to say the fact that the R E I T ticker was available and needed, yeah, that's weird. That's amazing I that. to me. I, that I'm is shocked. amazing
2: because it's probably what the fiftieth launched or the you know fortieth right ETF launched. What were people thinking? Why were they? Was it too obvious? I've
4: gotten more phone calls from various folks asking me, how did the, how did they get this ticker? How is that possible? And my answer is, I don't know, but it's the steal of the century that they finally released the REIT ticker.
1: All right, Kevin, David, thank you so, so much for joining us on Trillions.
4: Thanks. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. You can find David at Daily Beat. And you can find Kevin at Kevin R. Kelly underscore. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Bye.